looking to have a conversation. Had to find out what she likes. Okay, and welcome to episode 8 slash 11. Um, and why is it called episode 8 slash 11, you may be wondering. Uh, because it is the episode in which we are going to cover strength or lust. And of course, as you know, because you're a tarot person and you're listening to this podcast, there's a problem with the numbering of strength or lust. And, uh, that problem, ooh, is that problem's a bit of a complicated one. So I'm going to let Mel go first. Oh, thank you. <laughs> the hot seat. So just um, give it a I try. I would say that originally, when cards first started to be numbered, at least, I mean, for a time they were unnumbered completely. But then uh, Marseille decks started to have a numbering system. So um, strength was as the or fortitude as it may have been called was mm -hmm. at the um 11 position and justice was at the 8 position but that created a bit of a twist in the uh numbering order of the zodiacal signs because clearly in both no matter what you number it, this card with a woman and a lion is associated with the sign of Leo, whereas justice or adjustment is clearly with the scales associated with the sign of Libra. And yet by numbering them that way, the order was then switched so that they didn't fall in the appropriate order from Aries through Pisces. Right, because you had Chariot being Cancer, and then you wanted to have Leo, which would be Strength, which would be eight after Chariot. But right. uh, but if you had Justice there, then it was like you were skipping to Libra. Right. So there were supposed reasons for that um, switch, I've heard explained as they were thinking more numerologically than astrologically when they made that order and that they considered the the um eight as associated with balance. Hmm. Um and you can kind of see that if you think of the the eight as being the the two pans of the scales mm, perhaps right um, the right. pivot point. Um it's also interesting though it, it, I mean Libra is the pivot point of the zodiac if you look at the order of the signs True. it's right there in True. the middle so there anyway when weight made the the this deck along with Pamela Coleman Smith he switched the order actually i think the golden dawn did the golden dawn yeah, yeah along, even prior the, to right that. the golden dawn mm -hmm. and weight as part of that made mm -hmm. the made the switch to um restore the order of the zodiacal signs and um so now you have chariot cancer seven and you have uh strength leo eight you have hermit virgo nine right so it puts them mm -hmm. back in the proper astrological order mm -hmm. however when uh crowley did his deck he reverted them back to the original marseille order because he felt that that was the correct order and this then ties back into the whole um, switch that he also made 
between the star and the emperor that you may have heard us talk about in the episode on the emperor card, basically where he also then switched the paths of those cards. So that diagram that you'll see on the website in both episodes refers to that switch where one creates a twist in the zodiac in the order of the numbering, the other creates the corresponding twist at the opposite end of the zodiac. The signs exactly on the other end are also flipped, but in the order of the paths. And it's very symmetrical. Thus symmetry. Right. To the, and there are other reasons that Crowley thought that, you know, eight should be adjustment and lust should be 11 as well. And so it all, you know, fits into a bigger picture about that. And perhaps for now, that's all we'll yeah. say. And we just are going to call this episode eight slash 11 because it's could be thought of as either, but they're both the card of Leo. And we'll do the other one as justice as 11 slash eight. Uh, but we have a nice diagram, which makes it much more easy to understand than us describing it. And that's on the website. So have a look there. And in the meantime, don't worry whether you call it eight or 11, because ultimately it's all completely arbitrary. <laughs> and, you know, the, the sequence of majors dating back to the Marseille deck was, or, and before was really not quite fixed for a very long time. So don't, don't sweat it too much. But meanwhile, here we are, ready to um, dive right in <laughs> on strength or lust. And here we have right away, immediately, two major differences in um, in the way we look at this card and its title. So strength in the Wade Smith card, lust in Crowley's card. We'll be talking lots more about that. Um, fortitude, as Mel mentioned, or force um, in the earlier decks. And then hermetically, Daughter of the Flaming Sword, leader of the lion. So we have here clearly two very different concepts of strength, but we are going to find a way to reconcile them because that's what we do. Yes, indeed. So Daughter of the Flaming Sword, that's a path reference in that the lust card is on that path of the flaming sword. So if you're not familiar with that path of the flaming sword, we'll we'll put a diagram up for that, but basically it's it's a path that starts at Sephira 1 Keter and goes in order through 2 3 all the way down to 10 and it creates this like lightning bolt shape or it kind of looks like a 777 but flipped in reverse <laughs> um and it's called the path of the flaming sword and it speaks about the whole path of creation from the beginning down to the material world mm -hmm. um and you'll notice that the path of leo um is right at the center of that flaming sword on that middle of the three horizontal paths, it's the middle one. So she's right in the center of the path of the flaming sword, thus the title Daughter of the Flaming Sword. Right, and she's going from Chesed to Givora, um, right across the middle there. Um, parallel above her, we have the Empress, and below her, we have the Tower. So mm -hmm. um, looking at the Tree of Life, when you look at the path of lust or strength um, crossing that middle horizontal path, you'll notice that it crosses the um, the path of the priestess, mm -hmm. which is the moon. So you have that that mm. central point. So her path is from Keter, Tifereth, mm -hmm. Tifereth. Mm -hmm. um, so we've got the solar 
underneath the path of lust mm-hmm. and the crossing is the lunar path. So it just, again, is more sun conjoined moon, even if you look at yes where it yes. is. Right. The path of the moon crosses the path of Venus above and then and, the, pa- and the path of uh, strength, lust, the uh, below, solar yeah. path But there's below. that cross point. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I don't know, just visually you see the sun underneath that path and you see the moon crossing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other thing about the whole strength, lust, um, what Crowley has to say about the calling it lust versus strength he says it's not just strength it's vigor and the Mm -hmm. joy of strength exercised Mm. or the joy of vigor and rapture of vigor it's lust in that (laughs) in that sense uh, you know i mean as well as obviously the sexual sense but there's that whole that whole like lust for life so they're very similar you know in a way oh yes yes i think that's true I think we can start right in with Leo because it was Crowley's rising sign. And one of the reasons that this card is so dear to Crowley. Um, and, uh, of course, the most obvious reference to Leo on both cards is that the giant lion, lion <laughs> right? Mm. Right. You can't miss it. And why they just had to, uh, create that switch because, you know, you, what other, what other zodiacal sign could this possibly go with? <laughs> Um, the sun, of course, is the ruler of Leo. Um, nothing is exalted in Leo and nothing is fallen in Leo. Uh, Saturn is in detriment in Leo, but we see no references to that, I don't think. Well. Oh, do you see some? I wouldn't say direct references, but there's a lot in, in Crowley's card about, you know, Bina, mm. um, which is a Saturn reference in mm. itself in mm-hmm. Babylon. You could there's, say that. Saturnine, sure. Saturnine sure. things there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but they are certainly, um, solar. There's a solar appearance to the car, period. Mm-hmm. It's just so yellow, so golden. Mm. So astrologically, the strength or lust card is associated with Leo, of course. So, um, so the, the minors associated with Leo are the five, six, and seven of wands. So that's, uh, <laughs> strife, victory, and valor, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which kind of sums it up right there. You know, you've got these, these cards of effort and, uh, but I think, you know, if you look at the look at them one by one, you can see how that's playing out in each one. So, so the first one, so five of wands is Saturn in Leo, and uh, I don't know. I think we both right. think of that as so the pressure the, cooker, don't we? Yeah. So yeah, the first the first decan of Leo, which is ruled by Saturn, and interestingly mm-hmm. enough, that was where the Golden Dawn placed the start of their alternate zodiac rather than starting at zero degrees of um aries they started it for whatever reason it probably because something like five five degrees of leo which is within the stican right because you've just had the summer solstice which places this the sun at the Mm. northernmost right and them being you Mm -hmm. know golden dawn being a sun reference it's basically a Mm -hmm. solar organization um Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you'll see on the uh caduceus uh at the 
central wand of the oh, five here winged. on on the thoth card yeah we've got well yeah we've got swing we've got the winged the, <laughs> the winged solar disc the winged solar disc, the but, solar and disc. It, it actually has on it uh crowley's uh seal there which is a penis if oh you there you go look there you closely. go see yeah um, wait let me see no do i really want to see yeah it's looking at it from the top Oh, down, all right. top down, Alrighty top then. down view. Yeah. Yes. Wasn't his rising sign in? Yes. Was it in five? Yes. Yeah. In he the... very was much associated with um, with Leo because uh, that was his rising, and it must fall within this decan as mm-hmm. well because he put his personal seal <laughs> seal on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you know, uh, it's it's uh, interesting that this particular. Deccan ruled by Saturn is, you know, perhaps the most difficult of the three. I mean, because you have this, this, uh, strife Mm. aspect, this conflict aspect, but it's also strife is striving. It's the thing that you have to try for. And without trying, there is no effort. Not going to be easy because it involves Saturn and that, Mm -hmm. that exactly heavy structural leaden force is not really comfortable in, in the sign of fire. However, fixed, even though it's fixed fire, it's still fire. Right. You know, and Saturn is smothering the fire in a sense. That's it. The fire is trying to burst out through the earth. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So in, in 36 faces, he talks about this as being a, a a a face or a decan where you um where you direct attention you use the spotlight of the sun to shine it in places where you want to apply pressure or to highlight uh and to you know, direct yeah, which to direct. direct seems to suggest structure and saturn structure and saturn so there's this idea that you are the architect of the attention mm. you decide where it goes and um so this connection between saturn and the sun that way the spotlight but also um i i just love that he sort of connected it with the black art of marketing you know you know, look at, look over here, not over there, you know, yeah. it's like forcing people to like turn the magician, uh, directing yeah. attention to hide what's really going on in the other yes, hand. Yes. Where's <laughs> yeah. the lady? Where's right. The lady? Right. <laughs> yeah. So in the sixth, the six of wands is a uh, Jupiter in Leo. And you can see that right, right in the car, right? right? The card of the Lord of victory. Yeah. Not only is it the central or more balanced decan, mm-hmm. uh, it's, so it's the, the central decan of the central sign in a sense. So it's a f- center of a fixed sign. So it's even yeah. more fixed. It's like the fulcrum of, fixed of decan the, uh, of fixed or succident decan right, of, of fixed uh, sign. Right. Yeah. yeah right. Well, yeah. It's, yeah. So it's the, the fixed sticking in a sense, but anyway. And it's Jupiter with the sun. Right. Know. So the wheel of fortune, you know, combined with the sun. Yeah. Uh, I think of this as like the big personality card. You know, when you think of Leos who are very charismatic and yeah. kind of draw everybody to them, that right. reminds me of this. And it's card. a generosity of spirit that makes yeah. those people like that. Yeah. They truly do yeah. like other people, even they though do. they like themselves as well. They mm-hmm. like, you know, they. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> my favorite person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there's a big heartedness that comes with yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Leo ruling the heart, so you can mm-hmm. see how that's very appropriate. Yeah, yeah, with the six. Yep. 
Yep. And yeah. then we have for the seven, um, Valor. Uh, Mars. So this mm. is interesting. Whenever you have a Mars card, you, you start looking for what that guy's doing in the card and just how hard a time he's going to give you. You know, so this is the card of Valor. This is Mars in his, um, in his, in his courageous warrior aspect. Right. The tower and I remember I was listening or to actually the tower and lust. So it's actually the even tower and the lust. Sun, it's the tower yeah. and Leo and lust, right. which is really interesting to me because they're both horizontal paths, right? And then the Empress is the other one. So the right. the lust card is almost the combination of the yeah. Empress and the tower. You know that yep. sort of sex and war. So thing. even though this card portrays a struggle, it's a tr- struggle over which one is ultimately going to you know. If they persevere with, they're, they're going to be successful at, mm-hmm. I, you know. Mm-hmm. And this the, is also really a um, quest. <laughs> this is something I, I heard on an astrology podcast, this idea of valor. Um, with Mars, he can be cruel and he can be strong and he can be hurtful, but he can also be a warrior with a cause. Like in, in the presence of the sun, right. the sun, the king gives him this, you know, you are my solar warrior. That's you why are I my think hero. of this as a quest yeah. card. You yeah, know? quest, it, yeah. the knight, and you yeah. know, those Arthurian codes of behavior where the knight is constrained to act the knight well, of valor. Yeah, the knight of valor. So strife, victory, valor. There, you know, none of these are shy cards. You know, this quality of Leo has a directness and an outward force that we see in all of them, really, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so let's talk about the lion and especially the seven headed lion in the Thoth mm. deck, because that's um, like no lion you, that you have ever seen <laughs> in right. real life, I hope. <laughs> Right. Well, it's, um, you know, goes back to maybe you could get your Bible out and read some of the uh, oh, yes. revelations mm-hmm. uh, imagery that yes. kind of goes goes with it. Right. Um, okay. So, well, chapter 12 of Revelation, we have, ah, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. Oh, that's the Empress. Remember that? We saw yep. that in episode, yep. uh, what do you call it? Uh, four. All right. So chapter 12 talks about the woman. And then chapter 13 goes, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. And his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. There. Mm. So that's that's something like a lion, <laughs> at least. Right. <laughs> it's a beast. Mm-hmm. So Crowley identified with the beast for reasons in his personal history, and so this beast is chaos, the uh, father of life, and is paired with the woman of Revelations or the Scarlet Woman, um, astride the beast. And you know, we have it's it's more lunar and solar imagery. The sun and the moon conjoined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, um, if you have Crowley's Book of Lies, you can find it online, freely available as well. 
there's a chapter 49. So 49 is a, is a number of um, Babylon or the Scarlet Woman in that it's seven by seven. Mm-hmm. Um, so chapter 49 is called Warata Blossoms, and it's a form of red flower. And that was Crowley's own vision. Right, or- that was um, his mm-hmm. his poetry or his writing. Um, I could read the whole thing if you want. It's not sure. that long. Sure. So this is the 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 full reading of Warata Blossoms. Seven are the veils of the dancing girl in the harem of it. Seven are the names, and seven are the lamps beside her bed. Seven eunuchs guard her with drawn swords. No man may come nigh unto her. In her wine cup are seven streams of blood of the seven spirits of God. Seven are the heads of the beast whereon she rideth, the head of an angel, the head of a saint, the head of a poet, the head of an adulterous woman, the head of a man of valor, the head of a satyr, and the head of a lion serpent. Seven letters hath her holiest name, and it is Babylon. This is the seal upon the ring that is on the forefinger of it, and it is the seal upon the tombs of them whom she hath slain. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of Our Lady, for it is the number of a woman, and her number is a hundred and fifty and six. Well, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> it's beautiful. It is beautiful um, and dense. So, yes. um, but there are the seven heads. You mm-hmm. know, the poet, the the adulterous woman, the angel, the saint, the uh, valor, man of valor, and mm-hmm. lion mm-hmm. serpent. Right. But I think those are all aspects of Crowley himself. They are aspects of Crowley, right? Okay. They're they're yeah. elements of his psychology that I don't think he would argue with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And let's we should probably do a little bit of talking about Babylon, um, the yeah. woman of Revelation. And you know, we also need to just mention that you know the lion serpent is in reference to the Hebrew letter. Yes, the the Hebrew letter Tet, um, which means serpent. And, uh, or snake or, or to twist. Serpent or mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Right. Right. So, uh, and there's all kinds of serpents, you know, flying across the top of this card. So now we can move on to, to Babylon. Yeah. To the goddess herself. Well, we could start with, you know, Crowley changed the spelling of the word Babylon to not have the Y in it, like, you know, the mm-hmm. city of Babylon, but to have an A there in the center. And again, like many spelling changes he did there for reasons of when you do that, then you get the number of 156. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there are other reasons for that, that, okay, so if you break the word into its parts, you have bab that means gate in Arabic, mm-hmm. and uh, al in the middle, which is God. Mm-hmm. So then we have a gate of God, and on, which is the city of the pyramids, or Heliopolis. Mm-hmm. So it's also referring to that Bina abyss, city of the pyramids, where it's the home of those who cross the abyss and give up all their attachments, empty it all into the cup of Babylon, give up every last drop of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, they it's um, they call that the, the night of Pan. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's another reference to that. So you have that all in the name. So you have the gate of God to the city of the pyramids mm-hmm. in that name. Okay. All right. And um, 
Well, one thing I've always wondered about is, you know, what what role Babylon plays in Thelema? I mean, why is she so central? Why does he keep returning to this theme? It's probably the it's the first place that one gets to if they make that leap across the abyss and mm-hmm. it's the return to the arms of, you know, the mother and she's also an aspect of Nuit, mm-hmm. you know, which is a huge part of Thelema. And I don't feel like this is the time to really mm-hmm. go into a whole lecture on what Thelema or Thelema mm-hmm. is all about. Um, but clearly she's a huge part of it. Right, right. You know, there are people who are adherents of the goddess now. Uh, this is She's a very current goddess in a way. There are those who believe that we are in the time of Babylon. Uh, there's an entire printing press, Talismanic Publishing, a scarlet imprint that's devoted to Babylon. And um, the idea that she's kind of an apocalyptic goddess, um, a goddess who appears at times of extremity. Yeah, she's definitely that. And, and more than that, you know, what you just said, it, it, I always, it brings to mind that, uh, the poem, uh, the center will not hold, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and certainly there, she's, she's like that, but she has a, another side. One reason why she's associated with the, the great whore, um, is because she gives all. Not only does she require all and and take every drop of your blood if you want to make that leap, but she also makes herself available to everyone mm-hmm. and refuses no one. Right, right. There's a wonderful passage in Neil Gaiman's American Gods um, where there's a very much a Babylon figure. Her name is actually Bilquis, who comes in the guise of a prostitute and asks a client to worship her and then you know in the course of the scene he disappears into her body he has he he finds himself you know worshiping her with his body worshiping her with his words and then he's absorbed into that sounds very apt yes, yes. <laughs> right right and that is yeah, part of the face of bina right. you know to be the mother and available to all right. and infinitely promiscuous as well yeah, she's yielded herself to everything and everyone. Right. And she's, you know, it's interesting because there's um, there's an innocence about that. There's a purity and an innocence about the Babylon figure. Right. It's just another form of the virgin. Right. It's virgin and whore combined. And we really see the virgin side in the Wade Smith card. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Right. He completely, they completely took a, you know, a totally different tack and saw, saw this figure in a different way, which gives you some, I guess, some sense of the Victorian discomfort with sexuality generally, the idea Mm -hmm. that it's something you must tame. Um, and while the strength figure tames the, uh, line of passion by restraining or holding, holding him back, the Babylon figure, tames the line by writing and giving in. One is controlling the animal passions and one is merging with them. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. the way I I see the difference in these two cards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, 
another thing that a lot of people think that, okay, Crowley came up with Babylon. That is not true at all. <laughs> he very much adopted mm -hmm. her into his cosmology, but she was around far before he even came into the picture. I mean, if you know the um, John D. and Edward Kelly scryings that they did with the Enochian mm -hmm. tables, I don't know if they actually called them the Aethers in the same way, but mm -hmm. they basically... Uh, Edward Kelly did a scrying where he received what's called the daughter of fortitude speech. So if you want to learn a lot about what the goddess Babylon is above, you can Google daughter of fortitude speech. Maybe we'll put it up on the website, but it's certainly easy <laughs> to find. It's, it's long, but it's very beautifully written. And it's a vision that Edward Kelly had and received the words of the goddess, and it starts out, uh, I am the daughter of fortitude and ravished every hour of my youth. For behold, I am understanding and science dwelleth within me and the heavens oppress me. Mm, that is beautiful. And it, it, there's a lot more in it. He describes her, what she looks like and what she says. And it's, and, but yeah, it's even older than that <laughs> because there's also another thing that you can Google for that's equally beautiful and profound called Thunder Perfect Mind, which is a text that was unearthed, you know, Alexandria, um, Alexandrian times is like the second century. Um, and it's, again, far too long to read, but it's talking about the archetypes that clearly sound like the same goddess, um, mm -hmm. where she says, I am the whore and the holy one. I am the barren and many are her sons. And it's just Please Google it and read it because both of those, if you want to understand this goddess, um, can say it far better than I can. So there's this textual lineage that extends really far back of that's basically the goddess coming through uh, in one vision after another to people who write about her. What should we say about the what she's holding in her hand in the Thoth card? Is this the grail like we were seeing in the chariot image? Um, yeah, I think it is, is supposed to be uh, the cup, you know, the cup of Babylon or the, mm -hmm. the cup of Bina and the, into which got poured the blood of the saints. So if you, one of the, I, one of my favorite cards is this card in the Thoth deck because of how beautifully she did. What a great job she mm -hmm. did. That negative space beneath the legs of the lion. Mm. Take a close look at that. Yes. Because it's yes. not only, you know, a symbol of the Hebrew letter shin for fire, but it's also those, those bloodless saints. So it's supposedly these, these beings, these, uh, that have managed to make that abyss crossing and given every last drop of their blood into that cup. So that's why they're faded. And then there's this, 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 you know, just radiant. Right. Cup so they've at the lost top. all their attachments. They've basically given up their entire ego, their life, their being, their, their everything that makes them them in order to make that that crossing so supposedly that is what it takes um, mm -hmm. and that you shouldn't even attempt it until you're ready <laughs> <laughs> right okay but it's so beautifully done look at it that is artistically beautiful. i mean that's just genius and you know and the way it works in the colors that you expect to see in the card mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah if and we if you want to do color um mm -hmm. so one thing I find interesting about the colors on this card, so it starts in the king's 
characteristics in the king scale with a yellowish green. Mm-hmm. But then you, if you go all the way down to the other end of the scale, the princess scale, it's a reddish yellow or mm, reddish so, amber, reddish so yellow. So it's, it's like what that says to me. So yellow is the card of the sun and, you know, Leo is ruled by the sun. It's very, this is a very solar card. And so mm-hmm. if we're starting in the king scale, with one end of the spectrum of yellow and we're going all the way to the mm-hmm. other end of the spectrum of yellow. I don't mm-hmm. know. I find there's something like poetic and profound right. about that to there's me. something cyclical um, about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then so the other cards, the, the other colors in the card are the purples and the grays. And so I think of the yellow spectrum as being very solar and the purples of the grays, perhaps more lunar colors because this is, I mean, well, those are also colors of mercury, but yet Mercury and the Sun, there again, they're paired as we right. keep, we keep right. seeing it. But right. it's also a lunar, the gray and purple to me is lunar as compared with the golds, the yellows of the solar, just like this card is a marriage of the, mm-hmm. the lunar and mm-hmm. the solar. The, the, the woman is the lunar and the beast is the solar influence. Mm-hmm. And if you go far enough into the purple, so it's indigo or black, then there you are in Bina. Again. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you've even got the red for the other end, Givera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So looking at the weight card, you have what is supposed to be a reference to the red lion of alchemy again, uh, which we've talked about in, uh, in the lover's card, where you also see that. Um, and it also has the solar yellow of course, uh, mm-hmm. all over it. Um, there's also an alchemical reference in the, uh, in the, the, the infinity sign above her head, because of course that this major and the magician are the two that have that, that infinity yeah, sign. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. saw that as somewhere. I, mm-hmm. I saw that as evidence that, that this card should actually be 11 because of the, hmm. it, the magus and, and, the uh strength card both having that infinity sign so um there's the one and then there's the 11 and also if you put that then they're each starting one half the two cards with the infinity sign are each starting one half oh i see what you mean of the cycle or it could just be an eight for what it's worth worth, you you know everybody has their theories and that was that was yet another one Um, yeah yeah, you could just that say that. Ran mm-hmm. across. Oh, and one more thing mm-hmm. um, with the whole 11 as this card. Um, the 11, when I was just thinking about it, and this position on the tree of life, she's between the two pillars. You know, mm-hmm. it makes me think of the 11. And also <laughs> as Leo having the ruler of the sun, and you think about the 11 being like the central point in the major arcana, the sun should be at the center of all the zodiac and all the planets. So I, I don't mm. know, I kind of like, I kind of yeah. like its position there in that sense as well. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think I can see where you're getting it. I mean, we do. A, a lot of the rulership is based on the fact that the sign ruled by the sun and the sign ruled by the moon are together in the middle, and then everything else proceeds yeah. outward from there. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You know, you've you've mentioned before this whole thing about cards being associated with the the senses. So, mm-hmm. didn't you say this oh, one yes. was taste? This one's associated. This is the final one. This is associated with taste. 
I mentioned that because I was just noticing that the lion's in the weight cart is oh, sticking tongue. his tongue out. <laughs> And I was like, what's up yeah. with the tongue? And I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe it's taste. Yeah. Well, there's also something in, in taste that is the most immediate of the senses. I mean, if you're tasting something, you're incorporating it into right. your being. You're giving your all. You're, right. You're, you're, ta- you're taking it in you. and assimilating it into your own body. And, and maybe that's also, you know, part of the divine ecstasy that's expressed in the in the Thoth card, you know, it's kind of yeah. like that mm-hmm. divine drunkenness, that ecstasy, which I could see being very much like something tasting yes. very, very good. Yes. I mean, there is there is that connection between, you know, sex and hunger, these basic drives that you don't, you know, you don't have very many of them, but they're intimately intertwined. And again, the idea of the Hebrew letter tet, meaning snake, that twisting action, the kundalini energy. That all could be tied together. Right. The kundalini energy is important. Just, you know, if you look at, at, uh, Crowley's card, he's got the serpent tail of the lion. Um, yes. you know, perhaps in reference to that. And then also the seven heads could be the seven chakras. Uh, could that, be. As, as could the be. kundalini force rises from the, the base of the spine up through the crown. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Right. Another um, reference that I've seen for the weight card, uh, this is, I think, something that he himself said was that this figure could be Astraea or Astraea, um, who is a goddess who's sort of associated with the virgin, uh, associated with, um, but also associated with decay, justice. So, so, you know, here we are, you have a reference to Virgo as the virgin and a reference to Libra as justice. Well, there's something there. I don't there's, know. There's, they could position her possibly the in the and, sequence. The Virgo and Leo, Leo is definitely a, um, yeah. a connection, you know, they're yeah. connected in the sequence of summer into fall and also in the sim- the imagery of the woman and lion as the sphinx and- right there is a there is a um passage somewhere where the the lion gives way to astrea uh and that's that again that leo virgo connection there as well as the idea of her purity and her mm. chastity somehow overcoming the lion in this very christian sort of context in the weight card But it's also really interesting, I think, one thing that I like to do with the strength card is to think of it as a way of negotiating between the chesed and gevorah, the four and the five. So, you know, when you're dealing with four and five energies in the minors, one way to balance that is to go through the strength card, just as you might go through the empress card with the two and three and the, and the tower card with the seven and eight. I don't know whether I read this somewhere or whether I just, I'm, you know, talking out my ass, but there, I, I think I saw somewhere a reference to Seket and, um, you know, the, the lion goddess who drinks blood. Yeah. Yeah. This definitely could be a connection there. Yeah. But I don't know what we want to say about that. Other than that's other than, another other goddess than archetype another go- you can right, put right. in there. Maybe you want, just mm-hmm. want to mention that. And um, we could also say something about the whole, you know, the woman and the lion. Uh, there also could be something between the symbolism of the woman and the lion that's expressing the Aquarius-Leo axis where, um, 
you know, if you think about the old Aeon as being the Pisces-Virgo axis, that would be the, you know, the Pisces, the fish, and the Virgo, the grain, the loaves and the fishes, the Jesus and the Mary, the Virgin and the Messiah. And now you have the new Aeon with the, the woman and the lion or the scarlet woman and the beast in, in Crowley's right. language. Right. So that's the age Aquarius, the Aquarius-Leo axis, which is the, you know, age of Aquarius, this new new um mm-hmm. aeon or that we're that we're on and just to unpack a little bit with the pisces and virgo thing the pisces is associated with jesus because of the fish reference and of course um you can say that uh that comes from greek for fish is ichthys which is jesu christu theuhios it is son of god soter savior so that's the anagram that goes with fish that goes with jesus this is, of course, a solar card, which is um, because of fire, because of Leo, because of the sun's rulership of Leo, which mm. means that it's associated with yellow, which means it's associated with the note E, third note in the scale, red, orange, yellow. And um, although I've also seen it represented, and I think this may have been a typo in in uh, Robert Wang's book where he says it's E-sharp, which is really F, because of the yellow-greenish aspect of it. So make what you will of that. And finally, um, well, this is a familiar smell, but um, we use frankincense for solar, uh, for solar scents. And, uh, you know, I remember in one of our prior episodes, you mm-hmm. mentioned that, you know, all the gods love frankincense and... It, it's, I think it's because, you know, the frankincense, I associate it with the sun and yet every plant, the reason it's so expressive of every energy is that every planet reflects the sun. Every planet reflects, reflects the, sun. the sun's light. At least light. the seven planets, the visible right. planets. The, the ones we're speaking of generally on this mm-hmm. planet are the other ones that we see via the light of the reflection from the sun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And frankincense, of course, was one of the three gifts to the sun, yes. to frankincense, gold, and myrrh. And of them, I really think frankincense is the best. <laughs> it's got this wonderful smell of wood shavings and, and gold's not too bad either. Gold's not too not bad too. Shaving. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it's interesting how those are solar references: frankincense and gold. Myrrh, not so Myrrh much. Myrrh is more lunar, I would think. I thought or, it was Saturn. Saturnine, Binai. Yeah. yeah, dark mothery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so that does it for our episode on strength slash lust. Uh, and we will be joining you next time with Hooray, the Hermit, one of my personal favorites uh, in episode nine.